0: Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, if you have been with us, you know that since Easter, we have been looking at what the New Testament says about the resurrection of Jesus and what it means uh, for people like us. Uh, Jesus' resurrection is not just something that happened to him a long time ago. Jesus' resurrection was the beginning of God's new world, and we are a part of that world. And that means that the resurrection has profound and concrete meaning right here, and right now for people like us. It shapes our identity. It shapes our way of being in the world. So this morning, like we did last week, we're going to look at Paul's letter to the church in Rome. So I'm going to read from Romans 12, verses 1 through 8 for us. And you can follow along in the order of worship where it's printed or in a Bible, or you can just listen as I read from Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you as we do every week for this word um, that we have read and heard together. And we ask that you would be happy by the power of your spirit to do what you promised to do. And that is to use this word to point us to the word that became like us, to give us forgiveness and peace and new life. That you would use this word to point us to Jesus, and we would be able to say, as we have sung already this morning a bunch of times, that your steadfast love reaches to the heavens. Father, show us Jesus' grace wherever we find ourselves this morning and change us by it. And we ask it in His name. Amen. Well, during the. uh, During the uh, opening song, I leaned over to Pastor Jeff and I said, I'm going to somehow work that wilted lily that's in front of the communion table into the sermon. (laughs) So I haven't figured out how to do that yet, other than to say that. So if I do it later, you'll know what that was all about. Okay. Instead, I want to start by telling you uh, a story that I've told before, um, but it, it fits so well here that I can't resist telling it again. Um, one time a bunch of years ago, uh, I was parking my car in a lot, and it was one of those lots that had a security guard uh, and a gate at the front of it. And I had a pass to get into that parking lot. All I had to do was hand that pass to the guard. Um, but when I drove into the parking lot, I pulled into the entrance a little too far away from the parking gate, from the booth um, where the guy was. So I tried to hand the guy the pass that I had, um, but I was several feet too short. Um, so we both had to awkwardly lean out as far as we possibly could to make this handoff. And I felt kind of ridiculous. I was hanging halfway out the window of my car. I felt embarrassed that I had made this guy reach so far out of his uh, security booth. So in order to break this weird tension that I had created by pulling in too far away. Just as we were reaching out to one another, just as our hands were about to touch and I was about to give him that pass, I said, wonder twin powers activate. (laughs) Now, for those of you who are not a part of Generation X um, or who perhaps for whatever reason didn't watch the all new Super Friends Hour on Saturday mornings in the late 70s, I can explain what that means. The Wonder Twins, Jan and Zena, or Zan and Jana, were, were a brother and sister duo from another planet. I don't know what planet they were from. And on their own, these two uh, twins, as individuals, um, they were just teenage kids, and they weren't much good as superheroes. But when some supervillain showed up, the Wonder Twin powers could be activated if they reached across to one another and touched hands and said, "Wonder Twin powers activate." Um, after they said that, Zan could transform into any form of water that he wanted to transform into. And Jaina could transform into any animal that she wanted to transform into, into which is definitely kind of dumb. Um, but it worked out on the show, and these villains would be vanquished every single time. So that's what I said to the guy in the parking lot while I was reaching out to him. Wonder Twin Powers activate, and he kind of growled and said, well, I guess I know how old you are. takes one to no one, I guess. And I'm happy to say that the Wonder Twins provide a pretty good analogy to what Paul's bottom line is to his friends in that church in Rome in the passage that we just read together. He tells the church that because of the resurrection of Jesus, they are now a new community. They are a family. They are each other's sisters and brothers. And that the only way for that family to function and to flourish and to do what it was made to do, the only way that can happen is if they do it together. It will not work if they try to go it on their own. It's crystal clear the way Paul puts it. He says, we though many are one body. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And that's the vision for the church throughout the entire New Testament, that the church is this community of resurrection people. It is this community of people who have been made new, working together in the power of the Spirit to make the kingdom of the resurrected Jesus more and more present among themselves, among ourselves, and more and more present in the world. So this is how Paul starts that appeal to his friends. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God. Now when Paul says this, when he talks about the mercies of God, what he's doing is referring back to pretty much everything that he has written in the first 11 chapters of this book, of this letter. He's written first about this world that was horribly broken after the fall of our first parents. He's written about how everything had been unwound and tarnished and broken in that world that God had created to be very good. He's written about the people that God had chosen to be his lights in the world, the guides to the blind. He's written about these people whose job, whose vocation in the world was to share the life of God in the world. And he's written about how we completely failed to do that. And then he's written about the one who came in our flesh. The one who came in God's likeness and in our likeness to undo all of that horrible mess, to rewind the peace of this world, to offer forgiveness and offer new life to us, to remake the entire world to be what God had intended it to be all along, the theater of his glory and a source of unending joy and fulfillment and satisfaction for people like us. This this is what God has done for us in Jesus and through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. These are the mercies that Paul has been talking about in this letter. And every one of them, every one of them has been given to us precisely because of the resurrection of Jesus. So because all of that is inescapably true, Paul appeals to his friends and this is what he says to them. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. I mean, what Paul is saying is that the proper response of a human being to God's mercy is not to offer gifts to him on some altar somewhere. The proper response is for us to give ourselves to him. And that means exactly what it sounds like it means. It means that our bodies, in all of their particularity, and all of their everyday concreteness, our bodies belong to God, and he wants us to gratefully use them for him. And, you know, I think, I think this is some pretty bracing stuff, especially for those of us here this morning who tend to think of our faith as a set of things that we believe. It's this list of things that we have in our head that we believe, right? I mean, our faith for sure includes that. And Paul is about ready to talk about how we think about things and how we need to think about things. But for now, he is not there, and he wants us to consider what we do, what we do with our bodies, How we work, how we play, how we create, how we are in relationship with one another, how we parent, how we study. I mean, he wants us to know that everything that we do with our bodies is lived out under the gaze of the resurrected king of all of the world. And I just want to ask, in what ways could the everyday things, the everyday tasks of our lives, In what way could those things be charged with new meaning if we did them? No matter how small, no matter how mundane, no matter how routine they seem to us, what if we did them all as acts of gratitude to God? What if we believed that that was true and lived out of that truth? I think that all of those things would be shot through with a meaning and a purpose that we had never imagined was possible. I love the question the psalm writer asks in that Old Testament lesson that Jenny read to us this morning. Right? The psalm writer says, what can I render to God for all of his benefits to me? I can't help but think that Paul must have had that in mind when he wrote this. What is the thing that we can render? What is the thing that is reasonable for us to do given all that God has shown us in Jesus? And Paul's answer is to say that we render our very bodies, our very selves to him as living sacrifices who, you know, in the beautiful way that the gospel turns everything upside down, living sacrifices who become for the first time finally and fully and completely alive to God. And yeah, to live that way will absolutely require a new way to think about everything. We don't just wake up in the morning and do that. We need to think about how it would be that we would live that way. That's why Paul right away says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I mean, for Paul, the resurrection of Jesus was the beginning of God's new world. This world that's one day going to be totally transformed into a new creation where there is peace and justice and rightness all over the face of the earth. But that remaking is not yet complete. Right? And so there are parts of this old world, the one that had been twisted, the one that had been tarnished and broken. There are parts of that old world that are still present in our lives in squeezing us and pushing us and prodding us into ways of thinking and acting and becoming. And you know, those things aren't always as blatantly obvious in our lives as we would want them to be. They are often whispered and hidden deep in our hearts They are often embedded in the broken systems of the world that we just take for granted. Paul is saying that part of growing up as a Christian um, and part of becoming the people that we should become, that we were meant to be, part of becoming the people that we were created to be is thinking about everything. And testing it against the standard of God's mercy to us in Jesus. If it doesn't work and act and smell and look like the gospel does, then Paul is begging his friends, do not be cajoled and tricked and squeezed into buying it. And you know, the list of things that we need to have this kind of resurrection mind, this kind of renewed mind about, it is limitless. We're called to think differently about our resources and our money and what we do with them. We as the church are called to think differently about the nature of power and how and how not to use power. We are called as the church to think differently about our political life and our involvement in it and what does it really mean to be a citizen of a commonwealth in heaven. And none of it comes easy. It is not easy to do. That's why Paul says that our minds are renewed by testing our thinking until we come to that which is good and acceptable. Because much of our common life is lived out in arenas that require us to think hard about them and to test them by a way of thinking, by a standard that is different from the world around us. And I think people like you and I do this by working backward from our future we're headed to something we are headed into this future this renewed world where the gracious and peaceable and just rule of jesus is present fully and in every place that is where we are headed as a church as a people that's where this whole world is headed And a mind that is being renewed, if you'll let me put it like this, a mind that is being renewed drags that future into the broken present, into our broken present. And it uses that future as the standard for considering all of life and our place in it. That's the all-encompassing lifelong pursuit that comes as a result of being forgiven and restored by the grace of Jesus. That is the lifelong pursuit of those of us who are followers of Jesus. That's a big picture. (laughs) That's a big picture. Present our bodies to God as acts of gratitude. Think about everything in light of the gospel and this future to which the gospel is pushing us. And so Paul, right after he says that, he begins to line out what that would look like. What does that mean in the life of a church? What does that mean in the life of people who have been made new? And of all of the places that he could have started, right, of all of the places that he could have gone to to say what it looks like, this this is what he says, we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually, we are members one of another. I think it's incredibly telling that for Paul, one of the most profound meanings of the resurrection is this that God's people are members of a single family. The resurrection of Jesus means that we, we here this morning, we have been made into a new community. So let me just say something that is completely inescapable if, if what Paul is saying is true, and that is that we cannot possibly live without each other. We can't live our lives as Christian people without each other. We cannot possibly be the people that we have been called to be in this world without each other. We cannot live our lives for ourselves or to ourselves. We we cannot live for whatever smaller tribe we find ourselves in or want to find ourselves in because that way of thinking and living is completely incompatible with what it means to be in this community called the church. And so Paul gets this across by urging his friends towards some really strong and really good medicine. He says, By the grace that has been given to me, I say to everyone among you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Instead, think of yourselves with sober judgment. Now, <clears throat> I don't really have any idea how that went across in first century Rome. But my guess is that it probably came across better than it does in 21st century America. We are, you know, the nation of rugged individualism. I mean, we invented cowboys. I mean, the notion of needing one another, the notion of being inseparably and essentially tied to one another, to the people that we're sitting here with right now, this is not exactly wired into our way of thinking. But for Paul, it is absolutely critical to think this way if we will become the people that we have been created to be. And so in order to illustrate this, he uses one of his favorite images for the church. He says we're a body. Right? It's about as clear an illustration as you can ever have. Right? We, we all have bodies, so we know how this works. Our mouths and our tongues... They don't do the same thing, right? But thankfully, they work together so we can taste stuff and enjoy it. right? Our eyes don't do the same thing as our brain, but thankfully, our eyes and our brain work together so that we can see things and be moved by them. We need both of these things working together. The only way the disparate parts of our bodies work, the only way they work is together as a unity, right? Like the Wonder Twins, and the only way the church can live for one another, the only way that we can follow Jesus into his mission in this world, is if we work together as a unity. I've said this before, you know, I can't sing at all. <laughs> if, if the fate of the world depended on me singing one line in tune, we should just, you know, shake hands and kiss goodbye right now. So what would our common worship look like if I insisted, because of pride or vanity or whatever, what if I insisted on being the one who led us in singing? (laughs) You know, it would be a train wreck. But we have a lavish bounty of gifted musicians here among us. And our common life is enhanced by the grace of God that is poured out on us through them. This is the simplicity. This is the simplicity of what Paul is saying. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. And he lists a bunch of the kind of things he's talking about. Prophecy, serving, teaching, exhorting, giving, leading, doing mercy. The point of that list is not to be exhaustive or to say you only get one of those things. The point is to begin to paint a picture of what it looks like to be the body. He is saying that God has given these things to us as individuals. Some of them are a matter of natural inclination. It's just how we're wired, right? Generous people give. But sometimes, I think just as often, these things crop up out of nowhere as surprising gifts of grace. And people who were formerly stingy find themselves, for reasons they can't explain, wanting to give things away. But either way, the end is the same. We have been given these things as individuals to use them for the good of the body and the good of this broken world. So let us use them. (laughs) Right? Some of you can't teach kids, and that's fine, because others of you are really good at it. And if you are, we really, really need you to do it. Some of us don't have a mind for planning or for administration. It, it just drains you when you think about it and makes you sleepy. <laughs> but that's okay because maybe you are hospitable and creating the kind of place where people just want to be comes as second nature to you. Right? If that's you, then have a small group in your home or have people over for dinner or help with common ground to welcome people into this community because that's how God's gifts of grace work. Some of you love numbers. You know how numbers work. So then think about joining the Finance Committee and help us, help this body make good policies and budgets that reflect who we really are and the things that we really love. Some of you, you get cold sweats when you see numbers, but that's okay because you feel alive when you are actually physically serving people who need help. We need your gifts of grace there, right? Help out with a refugee family through World Relief or help us serve meals to homeless folks at Breakthrough. Some of you here this morning, you dream big (laughs) about the whole world. And you're constantly thinking about how the resources and the gifts and the talents that we have been given or you have been given could be applied around the whole world. Well, if that's you, then think about going to Haiti the next time we go. Because your gifts and your dreams are absolutely critical there. I could go on and on, but you get the point. The point is that one of the most profound and concrete meanings of the resurrection for you and me is that this very disparate group of people, this very diverse group of people, we have been made into a family. We are sisters and we are brothers of one another. And every one of us in here is critical to the good and flourishing both of our common life and the mission that we have in our city and in our world. We have gifts that differ according to the grace that has been given to us. So let us use them. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask that you would, by the power of your Spirit, Begin to move in us as a people to the extent that we have not been moved in before. To think about what it is that you have given us that is for the good of this life that we live together and the good of this service that we do together. Father, help us to see these things and to begin to think and test those things. Father, renew us. Do this for our good and do this for the good of the broken world all around us. And we prayed in Christ's name, Amen.
1: Let's stand together. <clears throat> Excuse
0: me. Let's stand together.
1: In reverence and in godly fear, we find the key to wisdom's ways. The
0: clear to us in creation and most fully and completely and beautifully in your son, Jesus. Father, would you meet every one of us here this morning in exactly where the place we are, where we find ourselves this morning? Would you show us the grace of Jesus and would you change us by it? And we ask it in his name. Amen. Well, <clears throat> I, uh, I've i told the story before, um, but it fits so well here that I couldn't resist telling it again so if you have heard this one before just bear with me for a couple minutes Um, so once a bunch of years ago I was parking my car in a parking lot it's one of those parking lots that had a gate and a security guard and a security booth at the entrance so I I had a pass to get into this parking lot and all I needed to do was hand this pass to the guard Um, But when I drove into that parking lot, I drove in and I was too far away um, from the security booth. So I rolled down my window and I tried to reach uh, the security guard, tried to reach out my hand and and hand him the pass. But I I was several feet short of being able to do that. Uh, So both of us had to awkwardly lean out as far as we possibly could in order to make this handoff. Um, and I felt really ridiculous to be hanging halfway out of the window of my car. And I felt really embarrassed that I had made this guy, you know, lean out so far out of his booth. So in order to break this weird tension that I had created, as we were reaching towards one another, just as our hands were about to touch, I said, Wonder Twin Powers, activate. <laughs> so <clears throat> for those of you who aren't a part of Generation X or who, for whatever reason, didn't watch the all-new Super Friends Hour on Saturday mornings in the late 70s, I will explain to you what that means. The, the Wonder Twins, Zan and Jaina, were was this brother-sister duo. They were twins um, from another planet. Now, on their own, as individuals, they were just these teenage kids, and so they were not really that effective as superheroes. But when some super villain showed up, the Wonder Twin powers could be activated if they reached across to one another and touched hands and said, Wonder Twin powers, activate. If they did that, then Zan could transform into any form of water that he wanted to transform into, and uh, Jaina could transform into any kind of animal she wanted. I know that sounds dumb, um, but it worked on the show, and these villains were vanquished. Um So that's what I said to the parking lot guy while I was straining to reach out and touch his hand. You know, Wonder Twin powers activate, and he kind of growled and said, Well, I guess I know about how old you are. (laughs) Takes one to know one, I guess. And I'm happy to say that the Wonder Twins provide a pretty good analogy for Paul's bottom line to his friends at the church in Rome in that passage that we just read together tells the church that because of the resurrection of Jesus, they are now a new community. They are each other's brothers and sisters. And and they are a family. And the only way for that family to function and that only way for that family to flourish and do what it was made to do, the only way it can happen is if they do it together. It will not work if they try to go it on their own. It's crystal clear the way Paul puts it. He says, we, though many, are one body. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And that's the vision for the church that runs straight through the New Testament. It's this vision of a new community of people, this new family of people, of resurrection people who are working together in the power of the Spirit to make the kingdom of this resurrected Jesus more and more present among ourselves and more and more present in this world. So. This is how Paul starts to begin to make that appeal, to begin to paint that picture for the church. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God. Now, when, when Paul talks about the mercies of God here, really what he's doing is appealing to everything that he has written in the first 11 chapters of this letter to his friends at the church in Rome. And it is a full letter, and it is a big, beautiful story. He's written about a world that was horribly broken after the fall of our first parents. He's written about a world where the unwinding and tarnishing of everything that God had created to be very good has happened. And he's written about a people... A people that God chose to be lights in this world. A people that God chose to be lights and guides to the blind. A people whose vocation it was to share God's life with the world. And how we have completely failed to do that. And then he's written about this one who came in our flesh in God's likeness as well as our likeness. He's written about Jesus, the one who came to undo that horrible mess, to rewind this world in peace, to offer forgiveness and new life to us, to remake the entire world to be what God intended it to be, the theater of his glory and an unending source of joy and fulfillment and satisfaction for people like us. Those are the mercies that Paul has been talking about in this letter. And every one of them is given to the church precisely because Jesus was raised from the dead. That is how we have these mercies. And because all of that is inescapably true, Paul appeals to his friends and this is what he says to them. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. What he's saying is that the proper response of a human being to God's mercy in Jesus is not to give gifts to him on some altar somewhere. The proper response is for us to give our very bodies to him, ourselves to him. That is the gift. And that means exactly what it sounds like it means. It means that our bodies, in all of our particularity, in all of our everyday concreteness, our bodies belong to God. And he wants us to gratefully use them for him. And I think that's really, really bracing stuff. In particular for those of us here this morning who tend to think of our faith as this set of things, set of facts that we believe in. Right, as these lines of things that we believe in. Right? If we think of our faith primarily as that, then this is really hard for us to get our minds around. And for sure, our faith includes that. Right, And Paul is about ready to say, this is how you should think about things. But for now, what he wants his friends to do is, is to consider what they do, what we do with our bodies, how we work, how we play, how we create how we conduct ourselves in the relationships that we find ourselves in, how we parent, how we study. Everything that we do, Paul is saying, everything that we do is under the gaze of the resurrected king of all of the world. And so I just want to ask, in what ways could could the everyday tasks of our lives be charged with new meaning? if we did them, no matter how small or routine or mundane they are, if we did them as acts of gratitude to God. I mean, if we really believed that this is true and lived out of this being true, I think that the everyday things we do with our bodies would be shot through with meaning and purpose that we never imagined was possible before. I love the question that the psalm writer asks in that Old Testament lesson that Dave read this morning. It's such a simple and beautiful question. What shall I render to God for all of his benefits to me? I love that question. It's so simple. And I can't help but think that Paul must have had that in mind when he's talking about what is the reasonable thing that humans do in response to God's mercy. And Paul's answer is to say that we render our very selves to him. We put ourselves up as living sacrifices who, in in the beautiful way that the gospel turns everything upside down, who become fully and completely alive to God, maybe for the first time ever. And yeah, for sure, living this way requires a new way of thinking about everything. It requires a new way to process all of life around us. That's why Paul says the very next thing, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. For Paul, the resurrection of Jesus was the beginning of God's new world. It is this new world that will one day fully and completely and finally be transformed into the new creation of justice and peace where everything is exactly as God had created it to be in the first place. But that remaking is not yet complete. And so there are parts of that old world, right? The one that was twisted, the one that was tarnished and broken. There are parts of that world that are still present in our lives, squeezing and pushing and prodding us into acting and thinking and becoming certain things. And you know, those things aren't as blatantly obvious as we might want them to be in our lives. They are often not shouted, they are whispered. And they run deep into our hearts. And they are woven into the broken systems of the world. So Paul is saying that part of growing up as a Christian, part of becoming the people that we were meant to become, is thinking about everything and testing it against the standard of God's mercy to us in Jesus. You know, if it doesn't act or smell or look or transform or move like the gospel does, then Paul is begging us, he is begging the church not to be tricked into being shaped and squeezed by it. I mean, in the list of things that we need to have these kind of renewed, these resurrection minds about, that list is limitless. The church is called to think differently, you know, about our resources and our money and and what we do with them. And the church is called to think differently about the nature of power and how power is rightly and wrongly used. The church is called to think differently about our political life and what it means to be citizens of this world and of a commonwealth in heaven. And none of this comes easy. None of this is where you just wake up in the morning and go, oh, this is how it works. None of it is easy. It takes thinking. That's why the Paul Paul tells the church that our minds are renewed by testing our thinking and testing it again until we come to what is good and acceptable. Because much of our common life is lived out in arenas that require us to think hard about them and test what's going on in them by a different standard than the world around us. And I think that people like you and I do this by working backward from our future. Right? We're headed into a completely renewed world. We are headed into this world where the gracious and peaceable and just rule of Jesus will be present fully and everywhere. And a mind that is being renewed, if you let me put it like this, a mind that's being renewed drags that just future into the broken present. And it starts considering all of life and our place in it in light of where we are headed. This this all-encompassing lifelong pursuit comes as a result of being forgiven and restored by the grace of Jesus. It comes as a result of following him. This all-encompassing pursuit is at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. It's a big deal. It is a big vision. It is a big picture to, to give our bodies over to God in gratitude and to test everything based on the future to which we are headed. Right. And so Paul knows it's a big vision. He knows it's this big picture. And so he begins next to line out what that means. What does that actually look like for a people? And of all the places that he could have started, right, of all the places where he could have begun to put flesh on that, this is what he says first. <laughs> we, though many, are one body in Christ. And individually, we are members of each other. I think it's incredibly telling that for Paul, one of the most profound meanings of the resurrection is that God's people are members now of a single family. The resurrection of Jesus means that we, we here this morning, right now, we have been made into a new family, a new community. So let me just say first what is completely inescapable if what Paul is saying is true. And that is that we cannot possibly live without each other. We cannot live our lives as Christian people without each other. We cannot possibly become the people that we are called to be in this broken world without each other. We cannot live our lives to ourselves or for ourselves or for whatever little tribe we find ourselves in or kind of want to find ourselves in. We can't do that. Because it is completely incompatible with what it means to be this community that Jesus has called out and said is the church. And so Paul, he gets this across to his friends by pushing them to some pretty strong and really good medicine. He says, by the grace that is given to me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. But think with sober judgment. Now, I I don't know. Um, I don't know how that would have gone over in first century Roman culture. But my guess is that it probably went over a little easier and a little better than it does in 21st century American culture. I mean, we're the nation of rugged individuals, right? We invented cowboys. And so the notion of needing one another Right? The notion of being inseparably and essentially tied to one another, to the people that we're here with right now, that notion isn't exactly wired into our way of thinking. But for Paul, it is absolutely critical to think this way if we are going to become the people that we were made to be. So in order to illustrate this, he uses one of his favorite images for the church. He says, we are a body. It's about as clear of an illustration as you can ever have, right? Because we all have bodies, so we know how this works, right? The tongue does something different than the mouth, right? But together, thankfully, they work together so that we can taste things. We need both of these things. Our eyes, they don't do the same thing as our brains do. But thankfully, they work together so that we can see things and be moved by them. We need both of them working together. The only way the disparate parts of our bodies work, the only way they work, is together as a unity, right? Like the Wonder Twins. And the only way the church can live for one another, and the only way the church can follow Jesus into his mission in this world, is if we work together as a unity. I've said this before, I can't sing. I cannot sing. (laughs) And if the fate of the world depended on me singing one line in tune, we should just kiss each other goodbye right now. But what if, right, for reasons of pride or vanity or whatever, Right? What if I decided that I wanted to be the one that led our worship, that sang and led us in our singing and worship? Right? What if I thought of myself more highly than I ought to think? It would be a wreck. <laughs> but we have a lavish bounty of gifted musicians here, and so our common life, our life together, is enhanced by the grace of God that is poured out on us through them. This is the simplicity of what Paul is saying. He says, having gifts that differ according to the grace that is given to us, let's use them. He lists a bunch of the kind of things he's talking about. Prophecy and serving and teaching and exhorting and giving and leading and doing mercy. Right? And the point of that list is not to be exhaustive, the point of that list is not to say you only get one of them, which one do you have? The point of that list is to begin to paint a picture of what it means to be the body. We have each been given these things by grace as individuals. Some of them are just a matter of natural inclination, it's how we're wired, right? Generous people give. But sometimes, and I think just as often, these things pop up in our lives as surprising gifts of grace. And people who were formerly really stingy find, for reasons they can't explain, that they want to begin to give things away. But the end result, no matter how they come to us, is the same. They have come to us by grace from God. So let's use them You know, some of you cannot teach kids very well, and that's fine, because others of you are really good at teaching kids, and if that's you, we really, really need you to do that. Some of you, right, some of us don't have a mind for planning. We don't have a mind for administration. It drains us just thinking about it. We get sleepy just thinking about it, but that's okay, because maybe you are hospitable, right? And 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 creating a warm place where everyone wants to be maybe that comes like second nature to you so if that's you have people over into your home for dinner and break bread with them or make it available for a small group to meet in or help with common ground help welcome people into this body because that's how these gifts of grace work right some of you love numbers you you know how they work right then then if that's you, think about joining the finance committee and for this body, for this people, help us make good policies and great budgets that reflect who we really are, that that are reflective of the things that we love together. You know, some of you, though, you get cold sweats when you see numbers, but that's okay because you feel alive when you are actually physically serving someone who needs help. And we need those gifts of grace in this body So help out with some of the refugee families that are coming to us through World Relief or help us serve meals to homeless folks at Breakthrough. Some of you here, you dream big about the whole world. And you you think all the time about how the gifts and the resources and the stuff that we have been given could be brought out into the world for the good of the world and so that people can learn of the love of Jesus. Well, if that's you, if that's how you dream, then think about going to Haiti the next time we go. Because your dreams, your visions, your way of thinking is needed, it's critical in our work together. You know, I could go on and on. But I think you get the point. The point is that one of the most concrete and profound meanings of the resurrection for you and for me is that this very diverse group of very different people has been made into a family. We are each other's sisters and brothers. And every one of us in here is critical for the good and flourishing of both our common life together and our mission in the city and our mission in the world. We all have gifts that differ according to the grace that has been given to us. So let us use those gifts. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask that you would help us to whatever extent we we are not able to see yet or to whatever extent we are resistant to it or. Maybe to whatever extent we've tried to to reach out and grope and get at, would you please, by whatever means possible, help us to see what it is that you have given each of us as individuals. And help us to be wise and thoughtful about the way that we see what we have been given together as a body. And then give us everything that we need to use those gifts among each other and in this world. Father, help us to think hard about it and then to get our bodies out and do for you in gratitude. And we pray this, that you would do this for our good and the good of this broken world around us. In the name of Christ, amen.
1: Let's stand together and sing in response to the reading of the word. reverence and in godly fear we find the key to wisdom's ways the is holy name revere through endless ages sound his praise through endless ages sound
0: Lord be with you.
1: And also with you.
0: Lift up your hearts. We lift them up Let us give thanks to the Lord our God.
1: We to give thanks to
0: Before we come to this family meal, let's take a few moments to greet each other in the name of Christ.
1: you Sing together The Lamb has overcome The Lamb has overcome The battle's done and the victory is won The Lamb has overcome No grave No grave could hold him down No grave could hold him down, but from the ground he is risen once he are perfectly as he lives to intercede that God's right hand is he. worthy is the Lamb who was slain glory be unto his name worthy is the Lamb who was slain glory be unto his name worthy is the
0: beginning you laid the foundation of the earth and created us in your image. You set for us a table in the garden where we feasted together with you in peace, but we turned from you leaving sin and death to reign. Still you loved us and sought us and invited us to feast with you again. You sent us bread from heaven and broke the stone to quench our thirst. You gave us a land flowing with milk and honey you sent us the prophets and priests to call us back to you and still we rebelled against you because of our sin. Through Christ you filled us with living bread and quenched our thirst with living water and opened a place for us at your table to commune together in peace. During this Easter tide, blessed are you, gracious God, for the glorious resurrection of your son Jesus Christ our Lord. By his sacrifice, he has taken away the sin of the world. By his resurrection, he has won for us eternal life. Therefore, we join our voices with all the saints and angels and the whole creation to proclaim, holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You can, you can be seated. We have the privilege now of participating together in the sacrament of communion. And when we do this together, the promise that God makes to us is sure and true. When we come to this table and we eat and we drink here in faith, Jesus, our elder brother, meets us here to strengthen us.